superior tools and issues from a superior point of view. It's a one-act opera filled with intrigue and a little bad romance. We'll preview the Lyric Opera of the North's latest offering. But first... The new house plans we had so long I guess we'll gather dust another year Have you been hit by skyrocketing housing prices? One of my buyers I worked with for two years and it was only through a private sale that we were able to make it happen. Realtors from our area share home prices and who's buying them. We're well aware of, we're calling climate migration but it's more than just that. It's people who want to telework. Welcome to Simply Superior, I'm Robin Washington. Are you a homeowner who's gotten an email or social media advertisement urging you to look at the value of your house to consider selling it? If so, you may have been mildly surprised or even shocked to see how much it's worth, certainly compared to before the pandemic. That may conjure up all sorts of ideas of what you can do with an unexpected fortune, except one thing, if you sell your home, will you be able to buy another one in our area? And who exactly is shelling out the big bucks for what used to be fairly inexpensive properties in the greater Twin Ports, and are they pricing out locals? Joining us to talk about it are two representatives from the trade group Lake Superior Area Realtors, Gabe Walsh, the Chief Executive Officer, who's speaking with us from Duluth, and Jenna Gallagher, the immediate past president of the group, who joins us from Bayfield. Welcome to Simply Superior, Gabe and Jenna. Awesome, Robin. Thanks a lot for having us today. Thanks, Robin. So, first of all, is it my imagination or are housing values skyrocketing? And what do the data say? Yeah, Robin, uh, once again, thanks for having us. And uh, this is uh, this is something that a lot of places across the country are having these conversations right now. So it's certainly, it's certainly not unique to our region. Just to tell you a little bit about what we do here. So we are the Lake Superior Area Realtors. We serve about 800 real estate professionals throughout the Twin Ports and surrounding region. In Wisconsin, we cover areas such as Ashland County, Bayfield County, Burnett, Douglas, Sawyer, Washburn, Iron. Um, and then on the Minnesota side, we have realtors in Aitken, Carlton, Cook, Lake, Pine, St. Louis. So geographically covering a pretty, pretty big territory. Um, but yeah, we're definitely seeing price appreciation uh, in our Duluth market. We're seeing price appreciation in our superior markets. Um, we're seeing it throughout kind of our, our region at large. So um, what you were discussing, certainly we have data uh, that's backing that up. And who is buying them at these prices? Uh, we had a show about climate refugees recently, a new term that we're all getting used to, which touched on people moving to the area from places like California, escaping the wildfires, and they're bringing their California incomes with them because now, since the pandemic, they can work remotely. So uh, are are you seeing that playing out? Yeah, um, I I definitely think there is some truth to that. Um, you know, as of today, we don't have like a, a shared database or anything as far as like where our buyers are coming from. Um, you know, that's that's not something that we we track uh, directly. But I can say from my personal experience, um, we are definitely seeing some buyers from California, Colorado, uh, Texas has been a, a a big one over the recent years. Um, and I mean, there's there's buyers coming from closer by too, um, from Chicago, um, 
just wanting to get out of the the bigger metro cities where they can have a little bit more space. Uh, as you said, they they have that higher income and they're able to take their jobs with them and and work remotely. So there there definitely is a lot of truth to that. Um, and the Midwest being the the sought after location as far as uh, the the climate and what we're seeing um, happening globally. I've heard for decades that, oh, you guys got such a beautiful area. Too bad I don't have a job there, but that's just not an issue anymore. But I I don't want to stereotype and suggest it's all a problem of, uh, you know, those outsiders. Uh, Are we buying our own houses too? Yeah, I think it's kind of a multi-layered thing to to, to look at, Rob. And I can say from an association, we're well aware um, of this happening, of the of, of what we're calling climate migration, but it's more than just that, like you suggested in Genesis, right? It's people who want to telework. It's people who love Lake Superior, the fresh water supply, the great outdoors, job markets, healthcare jobs, whatever it may be. There's all kinds of reasons um, that people are coming. That's why, you know, here in Duluth even, we uh, invited Mayor Emily Larson to our association and had about 50 of our members here last week um, really just having a discussion with the city uh, about this issue and what the city's doing to make sure we're prepared to develop the you know requisite amount of housing units that we need. And, you know, I know the city's working on this. We're working on this. It, it, it's, a, it's a huge, huge thing that a lot of places around the country um, are, are dealing with in terms of just development of housing units. In terms of people coming from our area, from these outside places, I mean, as an association of realtors, it's a beautiful thing, right, that people want to come here. At the same time, we also have to balance that with making sure that, you know, people who have lived here a long time are able to, you know, find the housing that they need to, to raise their families and those sorts of things. So, again, there's a lot of layers to it that we're looking at. I want to get to that point and elaborate on it of the city's response to what is a housing shortage in general in Duluth. And, of course, it's true also in Wisconsin. Again, we are speaking with Gabe Walsh, Chief Executive Officer of Lake Superior Area Realtors and the group's past president, Jenna Gallagher of Bayfield. So what does all this mean for locals? Uh, Again, I have to say I'm getting pitches nearly every other day telling me how much my house is worth. But if I sell, can I buy another one at the prices I'm used to? That is is definitely one of the biggest challenges that uh, a lot of our sellers are facing. I know from from our local environment, there's there's a lot of people that, that would like to sell. Um, but they, they do run into that problem that if I sell, where do I go? Um, cause they can't, they can't afford, um, to, to get into something new or it's just simply not available with the, the historic low inventory that we're seeing across the, the country. So it's, it's definitely a multifaceted challenge. Um, one of the other things we're seeing too, is that even those that have, have bought here thinking, you know, they're, they're migrating because of climate change and whatever else. They're seeing that there are still a lot of local challenges um, as far as infrastructure not being there for some areas. I know even I have friends that um, work from home professionally outside of even Hermantown. And you would think that they would have high speed Internet, but it just it doesn't exist in some of these places where you wouldn't fathom if you're coming from these bigger areas that it's it's not there so we're seeing a lot of these homes coming actually back on the market um, after a year or two because they're realizing that that the resources that they need just aren't here and the infrastructure isn't to the capacity that they need it to be you mean they're shocked to find out that we don't have lattes on every corner (laughs) (laughs) 
not yeah. the stereotype here, but yes. Yeah. Um, it's definitely a, an interesting environment. Like you said, we, a, a lot of the local people, uh, especially first time home buyers, it's, that is the biggest challenge. Um, you know, five, five, six years ago, um, I used to work with a lot of first time home buyers and I find that to be one of the biggest joys in, in selling real estate is, you know, getting to hand over the keys to someone for their, their first home and being able to actually realize that joy of home ownership. And we don't see that happening as much anymore because they're, they're getting priced out um, or they're stretched to the absolute max of their budget um, just to get into something to be able to compete with the rest of the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I was going to bring that up. Uh, we uh, spoke with uh, one Duluth uh, new homeowner who told us it took a year to find an affordable house. Is that becoming common? It is becoming very common. One of my buyers I worked with for two years, thankfully she was in a rental, and it was only through a private sale that we were able to, to make it happen um, because she she wouldn't have been able to compete with any of the, the outside public market. Um, but first time home buyers are still purchasing. You know, it's it's not that they're they're totally out of the market. It's just the stats have maybe changed a little bit on that, but they're they are still able to purchase. Um, it's just like I said, it's about being being patient. You mentioned inventory and rental. I was just going to get into that, too. Uh, Gabe, you mentioned uh, working with the city and the city's response to it. We have the ongoing story of the new Duluth apartment development in Lincoln Park that's turning one floor into a boutique hotel to, uh, we're told, the surprise of the city, which was supporting their effort to be uh, apartments only. Is all this interrelated with the home prices affecting housing in general? Yeah, I think if you ask any realtor about anywhere in the country right now, if they'd like to have more inventory, I can't imagine there'd be a lot of people who would say, no, we we have plenty of inventory. I mean, if you just look at the Wisconsin counties I mentioned that our association serves, if you look at kind of where we were year to date at this point in 2022 versus this year, um, new listings are down about 26%, even what they were at the same exact time last year. Um, again, right now, it's kind of that time of year when we look kind of at our pit, our picture of history where listings kind of this as summer approaches, we, we can probably expect those if history is a good indicator to go up a bit. Um, but, you know, listings are down. Pending sales are down 34% at this time from where they were last year. Closed sales are down 26%. So um, that's the trend if you look kind of on the, the Wisconsin side, same if you look um, kind of on the Minnesota side. One of the numbers I look at when I look at our stats that I like to pay a lot of attention to, which I think a lot of people should be concerned about, is the Housing Affordability Index. Basically, what that number is showing right now is it's year-to-date at 107 in our Wisconsin area versus 128 at this point last year. Basically, if that number is right around 100, that means that the average family can you know, basically afford to get a mortgage on a median-priced home but basically have no money left over afterwards if they're right under 100. You know, if it's under 100, they don't have enough to close. If they're over 100, they might have some money left over. So when we see that number going down from, you know, 128 to 107, you know, that's a little bit concerning too because, the, you know, I, I'm not an economist by any means, but I think a lot of people can understand that while housing is appreciating year by year, 
incomes are not keeping up with that. And, you know, when you look at the inflation over the last couple of years, too, you know, there's just massive amounts of contributing problems to this. We're speaking with Gabe Walsh, Chief Executive Officer of Lake Superior Area Realtors, and Jenna Gallagher, the group's immediate past president. So, Gabe, what are the stats comparing both on the Wisconsin side and the Minnesota side, the housing prices or values now versus five, three years ago before the pandemic? Well, I will just tell you on our median sales price from Minnesota last year at this time, it was $210,000. This year, we are looking at 239000 And actually, the number we probably want to pay even closer attention to is the average sales price. Uh, this time last year was 245000 Right now, it's 276000 And that's all of our Minnesota counties. On the Wisconsin side of counties, we serve average sales price year to date last year at this time 210,000 this year 220,000 and Robin you might find interesting I did pull some stats that were very specific to the city of Duluth and stats that were very specific to the city of Superior and what we found is over about the last five years um, housing has appreciated uh, in sales price about 54 percent and Superior versus about 44 percent in Duluth Hmm. Um, Superior's kind of held its own. It's been um, a little more consistent increases year to year uh, versus Duluth's biggest increases definitely were around that pandemic um, COVID time where the area from 2020 to 2021 uh, saw about a 14.6% appreciation during that period in average sales price. So a lot happening here. I can see. So what do you see for the future? Will this continue or like uh, many bubbles, will it burst? Which one of you has a crystal ball? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's we're quiet. <laughs> Jenna, what do you think? Um, you know, it's like the laugh is what goes up must come down. <laughs> um, it's the environment of our, our real estate economy. You know, everything always kind of circles around. Um, it's very cyclical nature. So it will burst at some point. Uh, everything I've seen as far as like our, our National Association of Realtors, the economists, um, you know, the one difference we're seeing now versus the housing crash of 07, 08 is that we're still seeing a, a bigger gap in the home equity to loan value. And so we're not going to see the same type of crash. I know a lot of people have been concerned about, well, you know, inflation and the, the market's going to come tumbling down again. That's not the case and not what we're seeing as far as the statistics and everything are telling us. Um, you, you're referring to how people were underwater back then, that their loan amounts were greater than the value of the house. Right. And part of that, too, is that so many of our purchases, especially these, these higher value, have been cash buyers. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's Everything is is all compounded by many factors, Um, but I think we are going to start to see some shifting in the near future when I can't say for certain um, because I I don't have that crystal ball, but it will all start to to cycle through um, as it has previously and, and will continue to do so. Yeah, and I don't have a crystal ball either, Robin, um, but all I can say is an association act steps that we're taking, right? Like I told you, we had the mayor here from Duluth. You know, we probably need to be inviting the mayor of the Superior area, you know, to be coming over here and talking to other elected officials in all of our service areas and just having these conversations, right? Because, you know, a lot of this is just a need to 
um, increase housing units in, in a way that's cost effective and it's a way that's affordable. And, you know, that's a very difficult thing to do. If it was easy, we wouldn't have some of the issues we're having right now. But as an association, we're continuing to have those conversations with local officials. We're continuing to see what we can be doing as an association to try to help. Obviously, we're not going to be able to solve it ourselves as an 800 to 1,000 member association, but uh, it's certainly our priority and, and, and things we're definitely taking steps to, to try to move the ball forward to the extent we can. And uh, Jenna, you mentioned working with uh, a family that, you know, it took two years to buy a house, uh, uh, besting my example of one year. Um, what do you tell a first-time prospective home buyer? Um, how do you, I want to have a positive note here, how do you assure them that it's going to be okay? Um, everything happens in due time. Um, when I start working with first-time home buyers, we first just make sure we have everything in place going through the pre-qualification process, figuring out what their purchasing power is, um, and being able to and and being willing to be patient. Um, I always say that everything works out the way it's supposed to, and it will happen when it's supposed to happen. Figuring out that purchasing power is is the biggest challenge. Um, I often make the reference of wanting to buy champagne on a beer budget, (laughs) and we have to be realistic about where we're at. And um, there will be something out there. You just got to be patient and find a realtor that, that's really willing to go to, go to bat for you because um, it's, it's going to make all the difference in the world. And again, that's kind of insurance, uh, as you pointed out, against the underwater situation we talked about of the uh, crash of 08. Uh, Gabe, what's your advice for people like me getting all those wonderful notices? How much my house is now worth? I'm going to be a billionaire, right? Should I sell this or should I worry about where I'm going to live? <laughs> well, I think those are, again, conversations that, you know, Jenna will stick up on this too, is have a conversation with a real estate licensee who's also a realtor, right, that um, is bound like our members are to a code of ethics to always be acting in your best interest and you know, have a conversation with them about those notices you're getting. And, hey, should I think about selling? Is this a good time? Um, would you be willing to come out and do a, you know, a market analysis of my property to see if there's, you know, any weight to this? You know, have those conversations with a realtor who, who can provide you that expert advice and, and, and see, you know, what your options are and, and what might be in your best interest. We've been speaking with Gabe Walsh, Chief Executive Officer of Lake Superior Area Realtors, and Jenna Gallagher, the Lake Superior Area Realtors Immediate Past President, who is joining us from Bayfield. Thank you both for joining us, Gabe and Jenna. Thanks a lot, Robin. Thanks, Robin. Coming up, an operatic love story with a touch of bad romance. So I bet you've heard this story before. A young man is engaged before he heads off to the military. He returns to find his beloved has married someone else. And then, 
Well, I'm not going to tell you, and then, because I don't want to ruin it for you, especially since it's an opera in only one act. It's Cavalleria Rusticana by Pietro Mescani, and it's being performed right here in the Twin Ports at the Marshall Performing Arts Center in Duluth by the Lyric Opera of the North, or you can call them by their affectionate acronym, Loon. And joining me now are Maria Cincy Selner, the conductor for the performance, and Michael Fuchs, the choral director. Welcome to Simply Superior, Maria and Michael. Great to be here, Robin. Thanks for having us. So how did you decide upon this work, and was it your decision, or did someone just say, here's what we're doing, go with it? Um, it was decided on by uh, Sarah Lawrence and Cal Metz, the executive directors of Lyric Opera of the North, as they build out their entire season. Um, they have very clear visions and goals with what they want to do with each season and presenting a variety of of works, um, of styles of opera, and, and that that tailor to different audiences. And generally, in every June, they will do a big main stage opera. And this is the one that they chose to put on stage for this year. Maria? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I get a call from Sarah asking me to come and be the guest conductor for this opera. So it was well selected at that point. But I believe um, one of the reasons uh, for choosing it was to feature the amazing chorus that uh, Loon has built, um, which Michael serves as the, as the chorus master for. And it is a really magnificent chorus here. So how does a one-act opera work? We think of operas as uh, long, right? <laughs> and at least having one break in the middle or a couple. And I know that sometimes this one is paired with perhaps another one-act opera like Pagliacci, perhaps. Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, the um, operas can be really any length. And I think that a lot of the older operas were really quite long because they were looking for entertainment to last, you know, a, a long, lengthy evening. And, um, you know, this this piece actually was written, uh, Mascagni wrote it um, as part of a, it was submitted for a competition, which he won, and it became the, the most famous work of his ever. Um, nobody really does too many of his other operas anymore, unfortunately. So we tell the whole story in, in one act. It's not all in one scene. You get a, a several different scenes. There's an intermezzo in the middle um, that breaks up the piece a bit. It's one of the most beautiful and uh, you know excerptable for concerts <laughs> piece of music ever written, I would say. And, uh, you know, it just takes you through this whole story in, I think, what, 80, 70 minutes, just over an hour. <laughs> not really too loud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as Maria was saying, it runs about 70 minutes, but there will be about 10 to 15 minutes of pre-concert music, of pre-opera music. That's That will start at 7 o'clock, so it's not like a, you know, background music that will feature some of our um, chorus singers performing things like Bad Romance <laughs> and, and some <laughs> other contemporary music to kind of set the stage and to bring the audience back in time a little bit with this story that really resonates with um, in in all time periods to kind of move from the contemporary back to the historical. So all told, I I don't think it will feel like necessarily a one act or a short show. It'll feel like a full presentation and a a solid um, 80 to 90 minutes of music and, and just a wonderful evening of opera. And by bad romance, were you referring to a particular work or a particular experience? <laughs> <laughs> uh, particular work, uh, Bad Romance by Lady Gaga. 
Okay, right. But there's a hint there about the experience of the story there, too. So. Yeah. <laughs> I hear the theme resonating. You know, this poor guy goes <laughs> off and, uh, you know, and who knows, maybe he was playing Lady Gaga while he said it. <laughs> so a little more of the story without giving everything away. Well, I think that, you know, the operas have been about all kinds of different stories over time, historical stories. and But really, when we get into the time period of Mascagni was writing, Verismo was very popular. Verismo meaning um, that, that it was like a slice of life. And mm-hmm. the play that it's based on was by uh, somebody that was a realist writer in Italy at the time. And uh, it, it's really the story of a village in Sicily. And we have a tenor. The first voice you hear is off stage. The tenor singing a little love song to Lola, who he has been in love with. And then he goes off to the army. And while he's there, his she marries somebody else. And he comes back to find that and um, has another relationship with Santuzza, who is really um, does the most singing in the whole opera. Some of the most gorgeous singing is for, is by Santuzza. And, uh, I mean, his relationship with Lola may not be done. And uh, that, that gets very complicated, not to give it all away. Uh, Lola's husband, Alfio, is involved in this. And everybody does a lot of singing to Toridu's mother, uh, Lucia, um, who hears um, about what's been happening from a couple different people. So as you can imagine, it gets kind of a very sticky situation for all involved. Well, I think you set it up great. Without giving it away, Lady Gaga could not do better. We are speaking <laughs> with Maria Cincy Selner, the conductor, and Michael Fuchs, the choral director for the Lyric Opera of the North's performance of Cavalleria Rusticana by the Italian composer Pietro Mascani. Let's hear a selection of it. Uh, you mentioned the intermezzo, perhaps. Absolutely. This is one of the most beautiful four minutes of music that I think ever was written in opera and it's it's only for the orchestra and actually it probably will sound very familiar to some people because it, it gets performed in concerts all the time it's actually used in a lot of marketing campaigns um it, it, it's a piece i think that that people will find familiar but this is where it's from
And that was the intermezzo from Cavalleria Rusticana by Pietro Mescani in a recording by Riccardo Muti conducting the Philharmonia Orchestra. It's being performed by the Lyric Opera of the North a week from today on Friday, June 9th, and Sunday, June 11th at the Marshall Performing Arts Center in Duluth. We are speaking with Maria Sensi-Seldner, the conductor for the performance, and Michael Fuchs, the choral director. So, Michael, tell us about some of the choral challenges. Oh, you know, interesting that you say challenges. There are definitely some some big moments within the opera. But when I think of it, I don't actually think of it as, in terms of a lot of challenges. I think that Muscani sets it out very clearly and, and very vocally for the choir. Um, and and so learning this music with the chorus and, and teaching it to them was really just just a joy. We, we've assembled such a wonderful collection of, of singers to, to be a part of this, and they are so fun and so professional that it's been really just a lot about um, language for us and and feeling comfortable with, with the Italian language. Um, but so it's just so fun and so well written to sing. The challenges are, are really centered for me around the language and then just being really consistent with the sound. Uh, I have a, my own stereotype, I guess, uh, about uh, Italian that is the perfect operatic language because everything rhymes and it's all flowing as opposed to the terribly guttural English or, God forbid, German. <laughs> with all, all due respect to Mozart and the magic flute and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, I mean, for those of us who do speak English, I mean, obviously you're dealing with very professional people who have been working on this all their lives, but does that remain a challenge? I think so. Um, anytime you know you're you're going to a language that's not your natural um, language, it it does take not only rethinking what um, and learning what the different sounds are, but how those sounds come together and how and what part of the um, you know the mouth and the tongue and the articulators that you're using to speak it and what's the shape what's the color of the vowels and the shape of the vowels all those things are so different from from one language to the next that even if you've studied it and done it a lot it takes a different shift i find when you move from one language to another mm -hmm. which i'm proving quite well in my mispronunciation of <laughs> the opera's title and the composer's name so let's hear another selection Sure, I think let's uh, let's listen to the the Easter scene in a jamo. Uh, you know, this was a piece that I actually first encountered um, when I was a young person. We sang this scene for Easter in my church choir at home. Um, so it was, you know, just as the villagers in Cavalleria um, sing it in context, we we sang it in that context, and it is one of the most glorious pieces um, that that exists. Thank you. 
And that was the Easter scene from Cavalleria Rusticana by, uh, I'm pronouncing it differently every time here for variety, <laughs> by Pietro <laughs> Moscone. That was a recording by the Royal Opera Chorus. It is being performed live, not a recording, by the Lyric Opera of the North, or Loon, a week from today on Friday, June 9th, and Sunday, June 11th, at the Marshall Performing Arts Center in Duluth. So what makes this performance your own? What are you bringing to it differently? Well, I think, you know, every time you perform a work, you obviously have the score that was written by the composer, but every collection of people that create an opera on the stage is going to be unique. And we have really a magnificent cast that all bring their tremendous talents to this piece. Fantusa is the wonderful uh, Lacey Sauter, who is is local, but new to Loon audiences. And so that's very exciting. Dane Suarez sings the role of Turidu, and he's a magnificent tenor um, who I'm excited to have the chance to work with. Um, Corey Renbarger is our Alcio, and he's a professor in Bemidji and very familiar um, to uh, Loon audiences. Um, Georgia Jacobson, who is, uh, has wonderful close ties to this company, is our Lola. And Holly Jans is our Mama Lucia coming from Fargo and is a wonderful cast of principal artists. And I would be remiss if I did not talk about stage director Marnie Robb, who has been here before, who has um, staged, I believe, Trouble in Tahiti and the Filthy Habit some years ago, um, but is a, is a wonderful colleague of, of Sarah's um, from, from years past. And it is, has been really a pleasure to, to work with her as we put this opera on its feet. All told, there's nearly 100 people that are working to bring this to the stage. And, you know, it will be only for this time. If we ever do it again, it'll be a little bit different, you know. Yeah, I think for me, it's, I, I find enormous joy and, and satisfaction empowering the, the members of the chorus, which is, we, have, we have about 25 um, members in the onstage chorus and then another 10 singers that sing in the backstage chorus or offstage chorus, and just allowing them and providing them with the process to put themselves on stage and to really bring this, as Maria said, this Italian village to life. Um, it's so awesome. Uh, we, we first started rehearsing in the chorus a, a few weeks ago, and we were doing all these music rehearsals and just really kind of focused on learning learning that. And then, but then to see everybody's individual character come out in their own acting and their own kind of persona on the stage while then also singing this glorious music together and singing it so well and so powerfully is really so rewarding and so and so wonderful and it's just thrilling to watch the the process well let's hear one more selection to take us out michael would you care to do the introduction well, why don't we listen to uh, Frampuzza singing Voi lo sapete? Yeah, I think that's a great one. She sings to Mama Lucia, who's Turidu's mother, um, about what happened, uh, about um, how things uh, went south for uh, her relationship with Turidu. All right, if that doesn't tease us, nothing will. <laughs> and since we're previewing with the recording, let's go with one of the greatest, Maria Callas from 1953. 
We've been speaking with conductor Maria Sensi Selner and choral director Michael Fuchs of the Lyric Opera of the North performance of Cavalleria Rusticana by Pietro Moscone. It will be performed at the Marshall Performing Arts Center in Duluth a week from today, Friday, June 9th, and Sunday, June 11th. Thank you for joining us, Maria and Michael. Thank you. Welcome back to Simply Superior. I'm Robin Washington, and we're joined by Rick Lubbers of the Duluth News Tribune. Hello, Rick. Hello, Robin. And Shalon Monroe, multimedia journalist for WDIO-TV. Hello, Shalon. Hello, Robin. So, Shalon, we talked about the shortage of housing in our conversation with area realtors a little while ago. That got a little help this week with the groundbreaking for a new low-income development. Yes, it did. In Duluth, on the corner of North 6th Avenue East and East 4th Street, One Roof Community Housing and Three Rivers Community Action announced the groundbreaking of the new Brewery Creek Apartments. Now, this apartment complex will hold up to 52 units. Now, out of those units, 10 of them will be available to members of the Fond du Lac Band of Lake Superior Chippewa. And around 30 of those units will be available for those on Section 8 housing. I talked to executive director of One Roof, Jeff Corey, and he said he really wants to target those young adults who have experienced homelessness. And he also said if there is a way that we can make sure that 52 people have a quality and affordable place to live, that's just fantastic. Now, the unit is set to be open for residents to move in come May 2024. Well, Rick, going to a higher income bracket and a stateroom instead of a house, a cruise ship docked in the Duluth Superior Harbor this week. Uh, Yes, it did. Uh, The Octantis uh, arrived in Duluth Harbor early Tuesday morning for the first trip of the year. Uh, It's the second year in a row that Viking cruises have a stop in Duluth. This cruise also travels to places like Thunder Bay, Toronto, and Detroit. The 665-foot Octantis can carry about 387 guests. The ship has five decks with restaurants, a fitness center, spa, and hair salon, uh, among the many amenities. 
the uh, Octantis, along with its 268 passengers, were just visiting for the day this week, giving passengers the opportunity to head up to Glensheen or visit the depot. Uh, after a nearly 10-year hiatus, uh, this is now the second year that cruise ships have traveled to Great Lakes, bringing people to the city of Duluth. And this is the first of seven Viking cruises that will be stopping in Duluth through September. Uh, four of these stops will be part of a new option for passengers that can either start or end their cruise here in Duluth. Uh, American Queen Voyages will also be making two stops in Duluth this summer. All right. Well, those departing visitors, as they look back on the shoreline, may have seen some construction activities going on at Brighton Beach in Duluth. Yes, uh, you can expect restricted access to Brighton Beach, also known as Kitchigami Park, uh, again this summer as work to restore the recreational area and make it better able to withstand the pounding surf of storms continues. Crews return to the job on Tuesday. Uh, plans call for an extension of the lake walk, girding of the shoreline, and repositioning the road further inland, where it will be less susceptible to storm damage in the future. Uh, the project also will bring new amenities to the park, which will, will undergo landscaping, including the removal and replacement of non-native plant species. Uh, the next phase of work should be completed by the fall of this year. Uh, a section of newly extended lake walk will remain open for the most part, but a news release from the city of Duluth said that users should anticipate potential for intermittent temporary closures for materials and equipment that may need to cross the trail. Parts of the park will also be temporarily fenced off to allow for landscaping and for turf and vegetation to gain a better foothold before they are subjected to heavy foot traffic. Uh, Brighton Road construction uh, is slated for summer of next year. So no events will be scheduled at Brighton, nor will the park be available for reservations until fall of 2024 at the earliest. Uh, memorial benches at the park have been temporarily removed, but will be returned as the project nears completion. Significant support for the project is being provided by the state of Minnesota and the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Uh, meanwhile, park improvements are being financed by the city bonding and the park's capital fund. Okay, going statewide in Minnesota and maybe national news as well, the legislative session ended last week and the governor spent the next few days signing bills into law. One of those legalizes cannabis in Minnesota. Yes, uh, Minnesota has officially legalized recreational marijuana for adults, and that new law is set to go into effect August 1st. Uh, Governor Tim Walz on Tuesday uh, signed into law the bill allowing marijuana possession for people 21 and older, expunging marijuana conviction records, and creating a new regulatory plan for the substance. Uh, now, while marijuana will be legal to use, possess, and grow at home this summer, uh, it will take a while longer for new dispensaries and businesses to open under the new licensing system. Uh, the move comes after years of uh, advocacy at the Capitol, with more than 30 committee hearings since January and two votes in both the House and the Senate. Uh, it passed mostly with the support of DFL lawmakers, though a few Republicans in the House voted in support of the bill as well. Uh, 22 other states and Washington, D.C. have legalized recreational marijuana, Backers noted at the signing, uh, which was attended by former Minnesota Governor Jesse Ventura, a longtime uh, legalization advocate. At a past hearing on legalization, Ventura, who served as governor from 1999 to 2003, testified that he and his wife had to obtain cannabis illegally for years to treat her chronic seizures. Under the legalization law set to take effect August 1st, adults can possess two ounces or less of cannabis in a public place, and two pounds or less in a residence. 
Individuals can possess edibles with a total of 800 milligrams or less of THC, the psychoactive component of cannabis. Cannabis may be used in a private setting like a home or at an establishment or event licensed for on-site consumption. Uh, home growers will be able to have eight plants, uh, four or fewer of which could be mature flowering plants. The legalization law requires expungement of petty misdemeanor and misdemeanor marijuana convictions from records. Uh, a new cannabis expungement board will review felony cases and determine whether a record should be cleared or if the person should be resentenced. Now, many employers will no longer be able to test employees for, for cannabis use, uh, though police officers, firefighters, people working directly with children or vulnerable adults, healthcare workers, and truck drivers will still have drug and alcohol screenings. Employers can also bar employees from using cannabis during work hours. And a reminder, of course, to our listeners on the Wisconsin side, that law does not extend to Wisconsin, which has not legalized the drug. We've been speaking with Rick Lubbers, executive editor of the Duluth News Tribune. Thank you, Rick. Thanks, Robin. And Shalon Moreau, multimedia journalist for WDIO-TV. Thank you, Shalon. Thank you, Robin. You can stay updated on these stories and all the regional news anytime at WPR.org, DuluthNewsTribune.com, and WDIO.com. And that's it for this edition of Simply Superior. And to whet your appetite for the Lyric Opera of the North's cover of a 21st century hit to go with their 19th century fair, we leave you with this classic by Lady Gaga. I'm Robin Washington. Stay safe, everyone. Oh, oh, oh.